We're going to be in um, 10th chapter of Acts tonight, in Summa chapter 11. A lot of, the chin, a lot of this is redundant. We saw last week um, Peter's vision. Cornelius, the Gentile, you know, having a vision to ask for Peter. Peter having a vision to go. Cornelius invited him in. We're not going to go through everything that's redundant in chapter 10 or chapter 11. We're going to hit some highlights. Um, but what we're going to hit is really critical. And I don't know that if you ever really think about this or not, or if you really, really grasp it sometimes, but all throughout the Bible, in the New Testament especially, in the Old Testament too, obviously, but we're coming to the New Testament, there's tension. There's tension always going on. There's things happening. Almost every one of the epistles was written because of tension, because of issues, because of concerns. Um, all throughout the book of Acts, you just read what's going on, and you see glimpse, glimpses of tension. Tension is a good thing. It's through the tension that churches oftentimes grow and they work through things. And, and if everybody involved is seeking the will of the Lord, you know, they work through it together and they come to a, a resolution together that strengthens everybody. We've, I mean, I've seen that in my 43 years of ministry a bunch. I've also seen churches not be able to resolve the tension and split apart, which means something, something went wrong. Even since I've been here in coming up on nine years, you know, there's times that tension happens and we work through them and we get to a place of resolution and we're stronger for it. And so we should never shy away from the fact that tension occurs. One of the biggest mistakes that people make and pastors make is that there's tension and they run away from it thinking it'll resolve itself and it doesn't resolve itself. Sometimes you've got to step in and resolve it. You may be patient. You may wait. You may give it time so that things can be resolved. But at some point, sometimes you've got to resolve that. This is what you're going to see. We see the beginning of tension. And one of the biggest tensions in all of the New Testament is what do you do with Gentile believers? I mean, you're Jewish. And at the beginning of the Christian movement, which is where we are, Christianity is primarily Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. It, everything we see about Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament stuff. I say that all the time. It fulfilled what the prophets and what was said in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And yet, one of the things that the Jews forgot was from the very beginning, and we're going to see this on today, from the very beginning, they were simply an instrument, a tool used by God for salvation of all people. They were the avenue to which he would be able to reach everyone. And instead, they thought they were the ends and not the means to the ends. And so when Gentiles began to believe and would overtake the church, and Jews, remember, were rejecting Jesus. The Jewish believers, many of them, especially in Jerusalem more than anywhere else, were saying, well, if Gentiles are going to believe, don't they have to become like us? Don't they have to do the Jewish things? And that's an ongoing tension that gets resolved in chapter 15, which we'll see like towards the end of our time of study in May, when we, this, this, this year of study. And, 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 and because of the tension, a phenomenal statement comes out from, from James, the brother of Jesus, where he says, one of the most important things you will see in all the New Testament not said by Jesus, it is my opinion that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles to come to faith. One of the most important 
guiding principles, not only of that day, but this day. Don't make it hard for people to come to Jesus. And I say this all the time, and I'm constantly reminding us how oftentimes we make it difficult for people to come to Jesus. In fact, in my sermon on Sunday, I'm talking about love, how oftentimes we lose track and we get so caught up in theology, which is important, and ecclesiology, which is, you know, what the church should look like, which is important, and our traditions and our styles. We get so caught up in what we want that we forget about people who don't know Jesus and we make it hard for them to come to Jesus because we really want them to come be like us. But they ain't like us. And they don't want to really be like us. But they want Jesus. And that's what they need. They need Jesus not to be like us. And so that is the tension that exists. Peter, and in chapter 10, we'll transition to chapter 11. In chapter 10, he is with Cornelius. Remember, he's in the home of a Jew, I mean a Gentile. In opening his mouth, verse 34 of chapter 10, here's what Peter says. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, that is every people, group, and culture, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. In other words, he says, I understand now. Having seen the Holy Spirit work in the life of Cornelius and come here, I've seen that God is not one to play favorites. And that's exactly what the Jews thought. That's exactly how Peter was raised. And even though he was a Christian, yes, and follower of Jesus, and he had moved past all that, and he had, now he is saying, it is so clear to me, the events that have transpired these last few days, it is clear to me that God does not show partiality to the Jews over the Gentiles when it comes to salvation. Now, Jesus was Jew. And he came to the Jews, but not just to the Jews. And the overriding fundamental thing of all things is faith in Jesus, not in being Jewish. And Peter says, I see that. It is so clear to me. And then he talks about the nations. Now, the word nations is, is cultures outside of the Jews. And so he says, it doesn't matter what nation, and, and we all, you know, I say this all the time, our tendency to think of nation is to think geopolitical, America, Canada, Mexico as nations. That's not what they meant. Nation comes from a word. Basically, the word Gentile comes from the word nations, ethna, ethnic. It means culture. It means a people group, the culture. We all of us have some sort of culture we come from. And I always talk about the fact, you know, I come from a culture in South Central Texas, we be different, you know, in so many things. You have cultures that you have. The hardest thing for me in my life in making transitions was not coming to Las Cruces. It was leaving Central South Texas to go to North Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. When I came here, people were concerned how would I adapt to this culture. The culture in Las Cruces is very similar to the culture in San Antonio. Las Cruces is about, you know, San Antonio is probably about 14 size, the city at times, the city of Las Cruces. It's the same basic demographic, same culture in so many ways. The Mexican food's not the same. I mean, obviously, San Antonio's different, but. <laughs> but that, the, leaving 
Dallas, Fort Worth to come here was a piece of cake. Leaving San Antonio to go to North Texas was hard. See, we all have our cultural connections. And Peter is saying, it doesn't matter your culture. You have to fear him. Do what is right. In other words, you've got to trust Jesus, what that means. Fear is not all. You know, so Joe was a... a and Leanne were missionaries in um, Argentina, church planners. And, and Joe was reminding me of the day, you've been here almost as long as you were in Argentina. And he went to another nation, probably mo- not just country, cultures, and probably multiple. And you, whenever you do this, and, and you have to make adjustments. And anytime people go to different cultures, it is difficult to take the gospel because oftentimes we want them to come to our culture first and then come to the gospel. And it doesn't work that way. You've got to identify with their culture and help the gospel come there. And, and, and it's that way with any group. And even in where we are, there's so many different types of mindsets and paradigms and people and the way they think. And I say this all the time. Our task is not to embrace our culture, but we have to engage our culture. In other words, we have to understand something about our culture and how do we connect with them without embracing and accepting the things that are false and immoral and ungodly. And one of the hardest tasks for us, how do we connect to people fundamentally different than we are without compromising? And it's not easy, by the way, but it's absolutely necessary. It's something that constantly as a staff, we're always trying to figure out how to do that. Because people from any culture can come to Christ. And I know we want to change them, but I say this all the time. It's give people to Jesus. He'll change them. Jesus will change them. We ain't the ones to do the changing. He'll change them. So he, he talks about Jesus. And he shares the gospel. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell among those who were listening to the message. The Holy Spirit of God. And all the circumcised believers, that was Jews, who came with Peter were amazed. They were shocked. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Acts chapter 2, back in the summer, in June, I preached about the Holy Spirit coming. Then he came upon them in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here were these guys. Presumably, some of them had experienced what happened on Pentecost Sunday. And it says they were amazed. They were shocked because these Gentiles were experiencing the same thing they did. They were experiencing the same Jesus. They were hearing them in verse 46, speak with tongues, exalting God. Then Peter answered, not that anyone asked a question, but it means he commented. I, love, I just love how he says this because he says it, and this is, remember, this is Peter, and this becomes important in what we see in chapter 11. Peter is like, you know, like Christian number one. I mean, I'm not saying the importance. I'm just saying, you know, there's Jesus, there's the, there's the apostles, and Peter's kind of the leader of the apostles. I mean, this is Peter. And so Peter's going to speak. And you see Peter speaking all the time, early in Acts. And it's amazing the things he says. And I love this part. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can you? Can you refuse these people to be baptized who just received the Holy Spirit the same way we did? Can we really question the salvation of people from different cultures? Now, do not think this outpouring of the Holy Spirit now is normative. In other words, when any someone comes to Christ, they've got to be able to speak in tongues. They all receive the Holy Spirit, yes. But this is basically the Gentile version of Pentecost. It's important at certain times in Acts when different groups, you see with the Samaritans earlier, when different groups come to faith, different cultural cultures come to faith, they have that one-time experience that's similar to what happened to Pentecost as a sign. This served, this, this Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit always comes. That's never a question. Everyone who got baptized Sunday had already received the Holy Spirit. They didn't receive it at baptism. I say this all the time. Baptism doesn't do anything but get you wet, man. And sometimes a little bit dirty. And, uh, and those waters. You know, when you're, can you imagine being the 24th person baptized? <laughs> And, you, and before that, and because Michael baptized, and he'd never done it before, he practiced. So there was, a, there was and, and I don't know who he practiced how, I don't know if, you know, if that, like, as practice into a guy who hadn't bathed in a while, I don't know. But I'm just saying, I think, don't you usually put bleach in there just to kill whatever you can? I mean, it's like half water, half bleach. I mean, it's just, people have actually gone in there before and come out blonde, but that's beside the point. Here's the thing, it don't do nothing but signify the change in your life. It is the outward expression of an inward experience. The Holy Spirit has come upon your life. I love this next part. I wish I could do this. And he ordered them. He didn't ask. He didn't suggest. He ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay a few days. He did. He said, okay, we're going to baptize them. And he said, does anybody have an objection? No, then we're going to do it. And I love, I said this before, I love how is when there's a conversion, they baptize. I am a firm believer. And once you know someone is saved, we need to get them baptized. Now, we, you know, we, we schedule it every so often because we don't, you know, we don't have the means, you know, we don't have a baptistry, you know, an old school baptistry that's permanent. We have a portable one, and so we schedule them. But I am not at all a believer with some of these groups and people, even in Baptist churches, that, you know, before you can get baptized, you've got to go through some teaching, like a catechism. I'm sorry. If this, I, it, some of you come from a Catholic background, and I get this, and I'm not, I, I'm not being disrespectful at all, but that is a Catholic way of thinking. Lest I check. Somewhere in our church name, we got the word Baptist. I don't, I don't think that way. I mean, man, you get saved, let's get you baptized. Let's get that done. That's the New Testament. We saw it in Acts chapter 8 with Peter. It happens in Acts chapter 16 when the Roman guard, is, is, the, the jailer is saved. Paul says this, baptized all him. His family believed, they baptized. There was no classes. There was no waiting around. There was no checking to see if it's legit. It's putting them under. Get them back out. Let's get on with it. That's how you do it. Now, we schedule those, but we still do it that way. We want you to get baptized. Now, chapter 11, how much time? I got 15. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Now, the apostles aren't going to care. They're going to be excited because they remember Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all nations. 
They were there when he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll receive the power and you'll be my witnesses. First of all, in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the whole everything. So they'd have been good with it. But it's important that the apostles are mentioned because that is an affirmation. But the brothers also, all throughout Judea, heard that they've been saved. The Gentiles see the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. That means the Jewish believers saying, you went to an uncircumcised man and get this, you ate with them. Now, you went to circumcised people and you shared the gospel with them. You went to uncircumcised people and led them to Jesus. You went to uncircumcised people and the Holy Spirit broke out. That's fantastic. No, you went to uncircumcised people. You went into their house and you ate with them. And I bet there was, did you have bacon? (laughs) Shrimp? And Peter said, praise God, yeah. Because he already had a vision. I mean, so understand, here is the tension. They're still stuck in their past. It doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. I mean that. I say, I say this a lot about churches today. If, you're, if loving Jesus is all it took for churches to grow, there would be no small Baptist churches. Because I never met a Baptist church where they didn't love Jesus. Problem is they just don't love people. Sometimes that's the problem. Is they don't really love people. You know how I know they don't really love people? Because they asked questions like, "You went into the home of an uncircumcised person and you ate with them." Back the first church I pastored, nineteen. 85 to 86, I was like 12. <laughs> and we were small. Every, every, every preacher boy back then needed to go serve in a small church, really small, ran like 20, 25. There was a cemetery next door. I'd go to the cemetery and work on my sermons so I could practice getting at least a response. <laughs> but a family visit, visit who weren't like us. And this is how I knew I wasn't going to last long. I was only there 14 months. And one of the deacons said, they don't belong here. And I was too young to fight it. I didn't know. Today, I can imagine saying that today. And, and I'm like, wow. A couple, about years ago, Debbie and I were driving through and went back to that church. stayed 25 for decades. And all of a sudden, we just drove by there and the church was big and, you know, big. I mean, they had to build a building. They were running about 120 all types of people. And there were a couple people there left kind of, they didn't, from when I was there, but a couple people who knew I'd been, I mean, just one of those things. But I was talking to somebody and they said, yeah, all those people died. And when all those people died, church began to grow. We call that a backdoor revival. So school saying, people die or move away, and the church begins to grow. It's addition by subtraction. You don't ever want to say, yeah, when you died, you know, the church began to grow. That's not, that's not something you want on your tombstone, you know. But what I'm saying is that was the attitude. Peter began and proceeded to explain to them all that happened. Verse 9, he talked about 
the vision he had, what God is clean is no longer considered unholy. And then in verse 15, in what is one of the all-time, 15 and 16, great comments that get slips by. But here is Peter being Peter. Here is Peter laying it out. He said, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. Some of you were there, remember? And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I remember what Jesus used to say when I hung with Jesus, when none of you knuckleheads were there, by the way. But I was, and John was, and James was, and Andrew was, and even James the less, we let him hang around some. I remember what Jesus said. I love that because if ever someone leveraged their authority and their position in a kind and gentle way, that was Peter, man. He just leveraged it like, who are you to tell me these people can't come to faith? Because Jesus says, John baptized with water, but there will be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why the word baptized doesn't mean sprinkle. The word baptized means to plunge. It's a violent term. It means to drown or dunk. It means to be immersed with, plunged with. The Holy Spirit doesn't just sprinkle on us a little bit. Man, we are immersed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, I was there when Jesus said that. Were you? He didn't say it quite like that, but I can just picture that. And he wouldn't have, I'd have been smug. He wasn't smug, I'm sure. But he kind of probably had that look like, weren't you there? We were there. And he goes on, and I love this. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, (laughs) Who was I that I should stand in God's way? Who are you to stand in the way of God? That is a haunting verse. Because I wonder how many times in my life, how many times in my ministry, how many times have I stood in the way of God when people needed to come to Jesus? How many times have churches kept people out who needed Jesus and they stood in the way of God? You know what God does? He just goes find someone else. You know why there's so many churches struggling? And I can say this because I'm at an age where I don't care and I've been around long enough and I understand and I know what I'm saying is right. It's because too many churches keep standing in the way of God in the churches that reach people, and I don't care what size they are, I don't care if they're 20, 30, 200, 2,000, 20,000, the churches that reach people, they're not getting in God's way. And God uses them. And he'll use you. Just don't get in his way. Peter leveraged all of this. And when he was through, to their credit, Verse 18 says, when they heard this, they quieted down. 
And they glorified God. And they said, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. It is God's decision who gets life. It is God's decision who comes to salvation. It is not mine. It is not yours. We are not equipped and we are not called to determine who can and cannot come to faith. We are equipped and we are called to share Jesus and let God sort it all out. He'll sort it out. I don't have to worry about it. So if someone's different than me, so, so whatever they have in their life that I'm not crazy about and I don't like. And listen, you have no idea as the pastor of the church how many times I just have to say, oh, well, Lord, I'll leave that one up to you. I see people sometimes and I'm like, that's not how I would dress. That's not how I would look. I hear some of the way people talk. I don't think that way. But I know what? That's not my call. That's God's call. So what I don't want to do is ever get in the way. I just want them to know whether I agree with them or not, I love them. We love you, man. We want you to come to Jesus. I'm not going to get in your way. Now, you know, hopefully at some point, some of the things that, that going on in their life will change. It's not my call. I've learned that. It's my life. The days I began to realize I am not in charge of people's lives, my life got easier. And, you know, obviously my wife helped me to realize I was never in charge of anyone's life, including my own. But when that day came, it's like, why am I sweating this stuff? I'll let God sort that out. Hey, they need to come to Jesus. Sure would be nice if you got everything else right too. And I know, and I, and I understand all that's involved, and I have standards, and I, I mean, I deal with all that. I get it, I get it, I get it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, Jesus, just, you know, do something. And I say that because if Peter could understand that, and if Paul could understand that, and if chapter 15, James could understand that, why can't I? The tension never quite left. It's an ongoing tension. Paul will deal with it. As soon as you hit chapter 13 and Gentiles start to become followers of Jesus, and it's not a centurion that had a great reputation, but hardcore, that was a, a, a proselyte, but hardcore pagans come to faith. And it's messy, and it's dirty, and it's, and it's hard. And, you know, the church in Jerusalem was like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? That tension always was there. And even after James said, listen, don't make it tough for people to come to salvation. Listen, it never left. There will always be tension. But the way to overcome that tension always is to share Jesus with people. And let God do what God does. And if we'll do that, in the end, remember this. When I stand before Jesus, all he wants to know is, did you follow me? And I want to say, yeah. And all the stuff that I got wrong, okay, well, well maybe, I don't know how he's going to deal with that. I hear preachers tell all the time about how he's going to do this or that. I have no earthly idea. Because I'm just going to be in heaven, and I figure I'm good to go when whatever he wants to do. I'll be good. He's not going to ask about my theology. 
He's not going to ask about my ecclesiology. He's not going to ask, ask about any of the ologies of my life. He's just going to ask, did you follow me? Let's make sure people follow Jesus. And with that, I'll let you out early because, you know, I'm good that way.